Welcome to the show, my friends. Today we have an exciting episode for you with my co-founder and dear friend, Melissa Lynn Stangle, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with from your following of Soltara Healing Center here in Costa Rica. In this episode, Melissa shares about her entrepreneurial journey and how she came into being as a plant medicine entrepreneur and some of the juicy details of that journey along the way. And uh, it was a very exciting and interesting conversation, which has been long awaited. So I hope you'll join us. This podcast is brought to you by Soltara Healing Center. If you feel called to work with Shipibo Ayahuasca Plant Medicine in Costa Rica, look us up online at Soltara Healing Center on social media or on the internet at soltara.co. If you're more of the talkative type of person and like a more human connection, you can also feel free to call us at 1-800-397-1730. Thank you again for joining the show. And of course, if you do enjoy the show, we really appreciate those likes and subscribes and shares. And um, please enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, my friends, welcome to the show. Today's a very special show. I have roped in one of my closest friends and, of course, business partner, as many of you know, on her day off after we've just finished a very intense week of healing people. No rest for the wicked. (laughs) No rest for the blessed. (laughs) This is Melissa Lynn Stangle. And uh, Melissa will be joining me today to speak about her experience as an entrepreneur and how we formed Soltara and our journey along the way. So uh, really excited. Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for finally having me on the show. It's been a long time coming. We've been trying to organize this, but... Life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. Exactly. (laughs) So. As much as I know things about you, many people do not. So um, I'm going to pretend like I don't know the answers to a lot of these questions. (laughs) And uh, so let's uh, let's start off. Okay, so so just a brief explanation of what Soltara is before we talk about how you got here. Yeah, sure. So Soltara Healing Center is a Shipibo guided ayahuasca center in Costa Rica. So we have both come from working with various uh, Shipibo healers and communities in Peru and really hold this tradition dear to our hearts, working with the medicine in this way and really wanting to help be a bridge for people to come and experience this medicine, really focusing on integration of this work and helping to allow for this medicine to spread out into the world in a way that really maintains that connection to the indigenous roots where, where I think our, both of our hearts are from the Amazon. So when you say this medicine, you mean ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. So what is ayahuasca to you? Oof, so many things. Wow. Well, to me, it's a teacher, a medicine, and a really, really strong mirror for me, for my self and my higher self. It's a pathway for me to 
expand my potential and capacity to affect positive change in the world. And it's an ally. I think that it's it's really done a beautiful job for me of connecting me to myself in a deeper way and therefore connecting me to my own purpose and mission, helping me to enact that in the world. Um, it's been a very strong guide and there's been a lot of tough love in it. And I'm really grateful for that. I wouldn't be here without it. So, yeah. That makes two of us, <laughs> quite literally. Um, so, okay, so so this plant medicine that, that has been your ally and your teacher and your mirror for, for all of this time, um, which has been a number of years, um, that of course, you know, we've, we've, we've been working together, uh, for a long time. And, and, uh, I, I believe I was there for your very first experience. Um, yeah, I blame this entirely on you. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how about you share with, uh, with our audience, how you found yourself on this path? Yeah, I definitely feel like this path was tangential to the path that I thought I was going to be on in my life. I was very much on a path of science and engineering and very corporate um, America. I thought I was going to pursue that path and rise up the ladder and make a lot of money. And I don't know. I didn't really know what I was going to do, but that's really what I thought I should do. So that's, that was my plan at uh, the tender age of 22. And I was really, I had a sense that there was probably more to this, I think, as most people do, and probably a lot of people in this, uh, in your audience and community. Um, but I didn't really know how to access that at all. And between graduating college, where I was working in research labs and I had a degree in engineering. I was about to take a corporate job and I was really just looking for something to orient me to this next phase of my life that I wasn't actually super excited about. I just kind of was like, okay, I'm going to take this job and, you know, I'll make a lot of money, but I'm not really sure I'm going to love it. And through the wonderful platform of Reddit. <laughs> I came across your post back in 2013. So gosh, it's been like eight years now where you were quite frankly, just saying, I take people into the jungle to do ceremonies with Shpibo shamans and ask me anything. And that was, I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Okay. And it was really, I don't even remember how I got onto this forum or I just, just popped up and I was like, okay, like, let's see what this is about. And I asked some questions and you answered them immediately. And we had a bit of a back and forth. And I was like, cool, this guy seems legit. Looked on your nascent website at the time and like, oh, there was a June solstice journey. And there, there was like an interesting timing in that because I was literally looking for something in June. I was, I graduated in May. I was starting my job in July. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe that's like good timing. And it was interesting. I look back at it now and I think it was really the first time that I followed my intuition about something rather than, oh yes, this is what I should be doing and this is the logical next step. And it was a kind of a big leap in, in that regard already because I was 
essentially committing to going into the Amazon jungle to do psychedelic medicine with um, someone I had met online. So, um, but for some reason, I, I felt I had a good vibe. So thanks for the good vibes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I ended up going on that trip with my partner who didn't think I would come back if I went on this trip. So he came with me, Ross, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, I remember some really really interesting. We had to get a boat from a 13 year old boy because our bus was caught in the mud. And it was just, it was kind of like crazy, but it was like Peruvian adventure crazy. And I had never experienced anything like ayahuasca before that. And it was extremely healing for me. It really touched some places, um, that really needed healing. And after that, I was like, okay, well, I have to go take this job, but I'll I love what you're doing, man. Like, let's keep in touch, right? And the divine timing of all of this is funny because uh, a year later, I know you were kind of opening the center down in Peru and was following your progress and did not envy you at the time, um, trying to make sure you got enough wood out of the Amazon to be able to open in time. I just, it was like, it was fascinating following the whole journey. I was like, that looks stressful but you did it. <laughs> and, um, and then a year later I was two years into that job and I was, I was looking for a change. I was ready to move, um, to California or I don't know, do something different. And, uh, and then, uh, email popped in my inbox from you saying we're expanding the team and we need an operations manager. Fastest cover letter I've ever written in my life. And I, and then I remember you saying, okay, like this seems like a legit, you know, application, but, um, can you learn Spanish quickly enough to talk with fast talking slang using Peruvians? And do you actually understand that this involves moving to Iquitos for at least a year? And I said, yep, give me two months. I understand. And, um, you know, when I applied, I was like, I don't think I'm going to get it, but I have to try. And then when I got it, I was like, well, now I have to take it. So, yeah, that was the second leap of faith. And I think, you know, for me, it really felt like a these two time points in my life when I was really looking for some guidance and looking for orientation to the path forward for me. And ayahuasca showed up in both of them. And so did you. So yeah, followed that. And I was literally a tangential path from there. Um, I do sometimes joke that like we've been recruited by the plants. Almost, I just kind of followed my feet really. <laughs> so were you aware of ayahuasca before you saw that Reddit post? So somehow I got on the ayahuasca thread, like the forum. Um, but I don't actually remember really looking into it. I think I had watched the DMT spirit molecule, um, uh, before. So I was like vaguely aware of it, but it wasn't anything that was super on my radar. It wasn't honestly a super common thing at the time. Like it was still kind of out there to even like go into the jungle and, and do it, you know? So, um, I didn't know anything about the traditions or, um, really the culture surrounding it. And yeah, definitely didn't have uh, a deeper understanding of, of what this is and its potential. So you were kind of just waiting for a call to adventure in, in a sense, you were open, you wanted something and then the something came on your radar and, and you were ready to engage it. So you just took a leap of faith. Yeah. I always felt like I had a lot of potential for 
for something. Like I didn't know what it was. I'm, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm relatively good at math and like, I understand science. And so that seemed like a lucrative path forward. But like, did I really feel in my core that like, that was the adventure I wanted? No, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, when this called, I was like, wow, this is, this is different. And this has a lot of potential to help people. And in, in ways that like, I still, you know, I'm still discovering now, honestly. And, um, yeah, so it was, it definitely felt like there was a, a potential within myself that I didn't know how to realize. And so I was just kind of waiting for, for what would come forth and, and show me the way. Mm -hmm. I think that that is, uh, common actually with, you know, with people. So you were at that time, what, 25 or 22? So yeah, I was 23 when, when we went in 2013. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I felt a similar thing, um, around the same age when, you know, you're looking at the road ahead and you see this kind of predictable work life, just like for now until you, you know, can't do it anymore. And, I think a lot of people feel that a lot of a lot of people in their you know kind of 20s 30s looking for something something unique and engaging and challenging and adventurous to do it's hard because you're told for the first 21 years of your life exactly what the path is you're like you go to school you go to high school you go to you know college and you or get a trades you know get an occupation and then that's your occupation and yeah exactly you kind of follow that all the way through. And, you know, I think for kind of our generation is starting to not necessarily find that super exciting all the time. And some people might, you know, like a lot of people I've worked with in the past, they, they work to live, they work to facilitate the life outside of work. And that works well for people. For me, I always wanted to live to work because I felt like that meant I was doing something I really loved and I could just throw myself into it hundred percent. And I just wasn't finding that, um, you know, with the options that were in front of me. And at 23, there was just such a lack of understanding of who I even was. And so ayahuasca really helped me to start to see who I was first. And it just so happened that then I decided to kind of pursue that. But yeah, I think for, you know, a lot of people, it's, that period of time around the early twenties is kind of like, okay, well, who am I? I need to figure that out first before I can figure out what to do with myself <laughs> mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. If you were to draw a straight line out, if, if you were to have said no to these intuitions that, 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 um, called you to say yes to the, the opportunity of adventure and uncertainty, um, if you were to draw a straight line out from there, and, um, and, uh, compare that with where you are now, could you see yourself going that way? And what do you think, what do you think that, that might have looked like, or, or would you have been happy in that, in that track? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like I would have felt the opportunity loss that what could have been, and, you know, certainly one thing on this path that I've learned is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that sounds kind of cliche and maybe like straightforward in a sense, but like in practice, that's insane. Like you have to throw yourself into, into positions and places 
and paths that are really just very like the edge of, of your zone of who you are and where you feel safe. And how do you then meet yourself there? And how do you then cultivate resiliency to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable? I mean, even, even just something like this, talking on a podcast, you know, that's, that was super uncomfortable for me for a long time. And it's not that it still isn't, but I just kept throwing myself into those positions And so, you know, I think had I taken the safe route, I think ultimately that would have just made me have this general sense of discomfort with my life because I didn't actually find out my potential in, in a different way that was actually meaningful to me. Um, that's not to say I couldn't have been happy, you know, but, um, or that I wouldn't have found it some other way. Um, but yeah, to have that kind of start the chapter after my like very guided step-by-step life um, was really powerful and, and was basically like a masterclass at life. <laughs> Just being thrown into the jungle like that. <laughs> Literally. So, so many mosquitoes. <laughs> so many. <laughs> um, that's really the essence of entrepreneurship, isn't it? Being able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Oh my God. Every single day. Yes. In so many ways too. And it's like, you don't even know, one, you don't know what you don't know. And then once you find that out, then you realize how much you don't know about it. And then you have to kind of address that. And usually the way that that gets addressed is through hard experience and challenges. Um, It's not really, I mean, certainly, you know, you can absorb content and read the books, but there's really no, there's no exchanging actually just being in that situation and having to fly by the seat of your pants and really accept failure. And I think that that to me is the part where I was so uncomfortable with it because I was straight A student, you know, got the honors, got into the Ivy League college, got the masters. And it was like, these are metrics where I can excel. And I was able to go after things that I knew I would already be good at. And then, you know, kind of this new path, it was like, I don't know anything. And I'm really flying by the seat of my pants and, you know, having to accept failure is really hard for a culture and society that really demands perfection in a lot of ways. And, um, there's like a, there's a, I think that it's, I think that's actually a chronic problem for, for Western culture in general. Um, and you know, there's a lot of layers to that too. I think social media doesn't help and, um, you know, really kind of getting, getting down to the realness of, you know, you are who you are. And when you fail, you're still you, you're not any less worthy. You're not any, in fact, that's a good thing. And reframing that as like failures equal experience and just letting yourself fail again and again until you, you know, just keep picking yourself back up and, try again and apply some of those lessons. And yeah, it's, it's quite the journey though. Well, that's another inextricable aspect of entrepreneurship is having to stare failure (laughs) in the eye every single day, really, especially for the first little while. Um, in our case, like three years mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> before absolutely. we feeling a little bit comfortable. Yeah. And, and it seems like every time we start to feel a little bit comfortable, a new challenge presents Fair itself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were like the beginning of 2020, we were like, 
oh, okay, maybe this is actually like starting to be sustainable now. And then COVID, you know, and I think that's the case for so many people, but um, that was a curveball that we, that was a real existential threat to our international tourism travel business. Like (laughs) you can't, can't really be in a worse demographic for that. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I guess everybody's, everybody's had a challenging year. Um, I think in terms of business, few more so than businesses that depended on the free movement of people uh, between places and countries. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And But, you know, that whole time too, because we had just come through the ringer, right? After those two years, I mean, I was, there were so many challenges and, you know, for periods of time we were like, I mean, personally for me, I was like beyond redlining. Like I remember saying that to you at one point and really trying to find support and, and mentors and guides. And like, I ended up getting a coach, which really helped with building resiliency for that and having a support system. But, um, you know, kind of getting to that place of ease, um, and kind of catching your breath and then seeing that everything you just worked for might crumble, um, was hard, but you know what? I had the faith. Like I really had trust that I was like, I don't think our work is done. Like I, we did not just work all of this time to get this to a place where, you know, we're really helping people every week. And, you know, we've got such an amazing team and we have, I feel like we are, we have the plants as our allies. And I just didn't think that, you know, so even, even during all the dread, I think maybe another aspect of entrepreneurship could be having that faith that it will, it will work out. Yeah. Like it will work out how it needs to work out. And honestly, like at the end of the day, even if this failed, like we would try something else, we would do something else. We would still try and make an impact and I'd still be Melissa and you'd still be Dan. And, you know, obviously there's a big part of our identity wrapped up in the business and, um, you know, it would be really hard. Uh, but at the same time I was like, you know, we don't just give up. (laughs) Like we could give up, but then we would be like, what would we be doing with our life? We would be giving up. And I think we'd we'd do more than that. (laughs) That's another key entrepreneurial lesson that I, I think is also inextricable is, is just that relentlessness that like, um, you're just, you, you make an internal agreement with yourself that you're not going to stop no matter what. And so you keep going and, uh, yeah, so you fail, you get back up, you try again, you keep going. And, you know, if you just keep, you just keep beating against that, um, you know, that, that wall eventually you're going to, you're going to break through it. But we've alluded to a few things here. Can you take us back to chronologically how like Soltara got started? And then, you know, we've talked about a couple of phases right here and the different emotional states we went through. Um, so how did Soltara specifically come about? Because you were working with me down in Peru before this since 2015. And then. Yeah. So, I mean, we, I think, I, I, I love Peru. It will always have a piece of my heart and it was really my first home for working with this medicine. And, 
you know, generally encourage everyone who's interested in this medicine to make it down to Peru. Living there full time, I, after almost two years down there, very remote location and very difficult to work in a job that needs internet all the time. And, um, it was hard, you know, it was, it was definitely hard. And I, I could see in myself that I was also a little bit in a bubble there. Um, just very isolated. I mean, we couldn't even really like go run around, right. We were like right in the jungle. So kind of had to like stay on site. And, uh, So I could feel myself also, you know, kind of looking ahead of like, how how can this work for me sustainably? Um, I want to keep doing this work, but I also felt like I had really had a chance to go deep into the medicine work and do some um, plant dietas with the maestros and really learn that. Um, and I was getting this message from the medicine towards the end of that time, like, I'm not going to give you any more answers. Like you, you need to go integrate. You need to get out of this bubble and like go back into the world and see what's next. And so I was kind of feeling that, um, within myself, um, feeling like, okay, well, what is the next phase of this look like? I can't just keep doing this forever. Right. And, um, and at that time, I think you were kind of also feeling like, okay, well, like what's, what's next, you know, what are we going to continue to do? How are we going to continue to grow? And, um, you had sold some of the company, um, to a a new owner and were kind of pursuing other projects. And, um, I think the transition was also a little bit hard for me. I mean, just, you know, the trust that you and I had built working together for so long, um, was really valuable and like the heart of, for me, what this work was about. And, um, you know, with the change and transition and kind of things shifting on site a little bit, and I just felt like, okay, this was something that, maybe it's time for a change for me as well. Um, and you know, kind of answering emails and doing operations was, uh, really powerful for me for a long time. And I was kind of like, okay, I was already trying to see like, what's like, what does like a business development role look like? Or how can I kind of, um, you know, take what I've learned and really, really implement it in a different way. So I ended up um, working remotely. So I went back to California for a year um, and did some remote work there, um, which was really, really interesting because I was out of this bubble that I had been in for almost two years and I was having trouble integrating, honestly. Like I, I just didn't really know what to do with that. And I just basically holed up with my mom for a long time. And I was like, what, what should I do next? Um, And I realized that because I was having such difficulty integrating and there were these kind of shifts within the business already, I was like, I can't be the only one that's like having trouble integrating. I mean, I know I've been down there for a while, but um, really getting this sense of like, okay, well, we talk about integration. You know, we kind of like joke, like the hard work starts when you go back home, which isn't a joke, but that's kind of like, you know, the vibe, but we don't actually really equip people with tools and support systems and an understanding of, you know, the healing journey is much, much bigger than just like the one week trip that you go. And in fact, you know, that's probably just the start of it really. And how, how can we start to orient people like that? And how can we in this work help to be a bridge for people? Because a lot of people that we serve are coming from a more like Western global Northern culture. And 
so I was kind of thinking about that. And then you were kind of looking at what to do next. And you found this place in Costa Rica. And um, I know you had ties to Costa Rica for from before Peru and um, feeling like that's interesting because that actually is a bridge between like the North global North and South. Um, and so you were saying like, maybe we should just start fresh. Maybe we should start something new, take what we've learned and integrate it into this. And so it was this interesting convergence of, of my own healing, wanting the tools to integrate that healing, seeing what was needed by the community, um, of this type of support. And then this opportunity for you, um, that you like kind of presented, which was, you know, maybe we, maybe we take this and like evolve it into something that's unique and and different. And so, yeah, when you offered to found Soltar, I was like, well, I think we could really, you know, like, what does it look like to, to liaise also with clinical psychologists who have plant medicine experience? What does it look like to develop a robust integration program? What does it look like to offer medicine in a traditional context, but not in its traditional home? How do, how could, you know, and these were all really interesting um, challenges that I was super excited about and got fired up about. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it felt like a very, almost like organic unfolding of my own healing, reflecting in my career and my career helping my healing and this kind of like interesting circle of, um, integrating these different things that, you know, we had learned and what we felt was needed. And, um, and thus Soltara was born. <laughs> We originally weren't going to call it Soltara. <laughs> oh my God, that was its own story, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a whole, it was, it felt like it was like 500 different names that we were working through. I remember you were like, I think just feeling like we wanted it to be three syllables, like we wanted it to kind of, relate to the medicine work. Um, we were like soul Mara. We were, we were circling around it for a while. Actually, we were like sun and sea soul Mara. I Mara. We were like, Oh, that's already taken. Like these different, like, you know, very close. Solara was another one too. And, uh, and then I remember one day, I think I was smoking a mapacho and I was like, I just, I had felt for a long time, like the perfect name was there and it just had to be discovered. I was like, this is already waiting for us. We just need to like discover it. Right. And we were like going through and then we were like, okay, well, we actually need to get this like website up. Like we need to figure out what this name is. And, um, and so I was like smoking this mapacho one day and I was like, you know what, maybe you just need to let go of the idea of a perfect name. Maybe I just need to let go of it. Let go, let go. And I looked up Soltara because we we wanted the three syllables and it literally said to let go or release. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like as soon as I let it go, there it is. <laughs> so here we are in 2017 armed with, or actually, I think we actually figured the name out in, in 2018 because we, mm -hmm. we, had, we had begun it with a different different names that we that we shuffled through uh, two or three of them i think um one was like pura loose oh yeah had, that's right we were gonna call it pura loose the yeah. first intro video had that and then we we're gonna call it playa medicina which was my <laughs> personal fave but i actually like soltara better it makes a lot more sense um <clears throat> so here we are like kind of 2017 2018 
hopeful, wide-eyed, excited to be, <laughs> you know, in Costa Rica on the beach, starting up this new place. And uh, it wasn't as easy as we might have thought it was. <laughs> what was that first bit? What was that first phase getting set up, formulating the web content and like, you know, making those initial connections and kind of really setting the stage for what we were going to do? Yeah, it was, you know, it's so interesting, like from a bird's eye view, it, my, my naivete was on my side in that regard, because it was literally just fueled by like passion, inspiration, and this sort of like idea of like, well, I've been running a retreat center for a couple of years now. How hard can it be to set up another one? Right. And man, I just, you know, once you start really getting into it, it's like, every aspect needs to be thought about and like who who's even going to be involved who are we going to call on for mentors what is the program going to look like and why is each piece of the program in place i mean i remember initially we were like um because in in pulse we had been doing retreats which were like um you know a week with ayahuasca and then a week with san pedro and we were connected to san pedro as well and that you know, it was a beautiful medicine. And so we were like, well, are we going to offer multiple medicines? And what does that mean? And, you know, just really wanting to um, be in integrity with the work. And, you know, it's a, it's a fine line to walk as, as, you know, people from the West really like walking this path of, of indigenous medicine work and, um, you know, setting up the center and, and kind of placing ourselves in the movement, um, who's going to advise us, you know, and, um, I think at that point it was like, it was crazy in a, in a, uh, operational logistical sense. Like that was kind of its own beast. And then there was also for me, like, I didn't want to, I, you, you kind of have to start on the right foot here. You know, like there's, there's really, you get one chance for like the first impression of your business. And it's not that everything had to be completely perfect, but you really do want to be like on the right path. And so even just deciding that, okay, you know, we're only going to work with ayahuasca because like the healers, that's like, they don't really like, people healers don't work with San Pedro. Right. And so to kind of incorporate that and like overlay another tradition, and I'm not saying it's not a beautiful medicine. And, you know, I think people get, do get healing out of working with, you know, different medicines and, um, and that's great. But like, if we're really talking about being connected to the indigenous way of working with this medicine, like that's not what they would do. In fact, they would recommend not to work with any other medicine for, or, he, or even healer for, you know, at least a month before and after. So, so yeah, like these really big impactful decisions that could set us on the right course. And we had some amazing guidance during that time as well. Um, Bia Labate was really helpful in, in helping us to kind of connect the dots there and also connect us to psychologists um, who had experience with the medicine and helped us develop an integration program. Dennis McKenna obviously was extremely helpful in kind of forming the overall mission and, and you know, our, our culture. And I think that, um, you know, having had a little bit more guidance in that realm and then talking to psychologists and really thinking like, okay, like what what can we do here that, that maintains that integrity of this work while also being a bridge? And like, that's a really fine line to walk, you know, like that's, so having this like firm foot in both worlds while not, while being respectful of both. Um, and so that was, that was crazy. And 
you know, being a smaller team, we were all kind of like doing a million things at a time. Like I was like choosing the, the, um, granite countertop design. Like, you know, with you, I remember going shopping for like construction things and I'm like, wow, I'm out of my depth here. <laughs> like, this is like, this is a very interesting. So yeah, it definitely was a time that exercised a lot of different aspects of, um, my brain. <laughs> and, um, it was wild. It was wild. It was super, um, exciting. Uh, and then I also realized that, you know, you kind of have to have that push in the beginning and maybe you can push yourself for a pretty long time. But, um, ultimately for me as an entrepreneur, I'm realizing that so much of it is about sustainability and balance. And you cultivate that resilience for these things by ensuring that you have good boundaries with your own self-care too. I failed at that for a long time and it actually resulted in a physical injury. Um, and that was really hard because for a while I was like, why isn't my body keeping up? Come on. I'm like in my twenties. What the hell? This is like, I should be stronger than this. And I was angry at my body. And you know, what I realized was like, wow, I'm, I'm killing myself working for a healing center. Like, how is that walking the walk? How is that in integrity? Right. And so then, then it was about actually being really grateful to my body for being a lot smarter than I am and forcing me to change my habits decouple my own identity from my productivity so that I could actually get things done over the long term. It's like the great irony of all of this. <laughs> It'll actually be more productive if you take that space and find find ways to um, to care for yourself and make it a long-term sustainable thing. I mean, that's, if you ask me what like the biggest thing I've learned from entrepreneurship, it's it's that. Those are actually two really good lessons uh, to acknowledge about entrepreneurship is that very frequently at the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey, you've got fewer people doing a wider array of tasks, not only just the bandwidth of the output that you need to have for the, as long as it takes really. Um, but you know, you end up kind of being a jack of all trades, um, because you just don't have, you you probably don't have the systems or you don't have the resources to get to like a place where we are now, which is like, you know, we can have silos in the company. We can have specialties in the company. We can have people that are, we can have enough people and each person be in charge of a thing or like an area, not just like, well, I need you to do this today. Then I need you to do that today. I mean, we still fall into that to some degree, obviously, because, you know, it's really hard. It's, I mean, it's just always hard, but, um, yeah, good, good lessons. And then in terms of the sustainability and the, and the personal care, I think any entrepreneur that I know and, and look up to that I've, I've used as mentors over time, they all find a way to take care of themselves, you know, get the sleep, get the exercise, make sure you make time even for a half an hour workout in the morning or whatever. So you learned that. Yeah. I mean, you know, having healthy boundaries around things and you're right. There's always going to be times when you have to push yourself. Right. And, but how do you then make sure that you can also recover from that? And how do you pull in the help that you need so that, so that it's sustainable for everyone. And, you know, I think 
that is that that can be really hard when also it's it's like it's funny because we named the place let go and it was like I had trouble letting go of like some of the things because you know it's our baby right and so passing that on is also kind of this this interesting thing um this interesting journey you know for for me as an entrepreneur of like okay I'm entrusting this part of the job you know to another person um but you have, you have to do that, you know, you have to. And so then, then you're pushed into, for me, then I was pushed into, okay, how do I be a good like leader for people? And how do I help communicate clearly enough to pass on this vision? Um, and, you know, create a culture of collaboration to enhance the vision. Um, and, you know, when there's issues that arise and when the silos don't communicate enough, how do you weave that together? How do you, walk the walk that you're doing it and lead by example. Um, I'm not perfect at this. You know, this is like a constant learning process for me. And um, I think that, you know, a a lot of this sort of leadership um, management skills, it's it's also about finding this balance of, um, of these sort of like masculine and feminine energies. How do you make sure that the structures are in place that, you know, you, in a sense, you have to have some hierarchy within uh, a company in order for order. Yeah. Accountability. Right. Exactly. And, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, things are clean and clear and structured and you also have to cultivate a collaborative environment. I mean, where we're working, it's, it's very different than most other workplaces. I mean, our team is living together, working together, eating together. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're coworkers, they're friends, they're family, they're, and then you throw medicine work into it and everyone's got their own healing journey, right? And that comes out inevitably um, in the context of a healing center. And it's hard to, to be in this space all the time, you know? And so for us, it was like, okay, well, how do we, how do we create a working environment that is really supportive and sustainable for everyone involved? And how do we ensure that communication is clear? And how do we ensure that we're all aligned in our mission um, and ask the hard questions and aren't afraid to confront? And also, you know, for me, it was like not taking responsibility for other people's emotions, but like discerning, taking them into account to then make decisions that are best for everyone, whether or not that means that everyone's going to like me all the time. Right. Like that's, that's, that was hard for me. That's been a challenge for sure. And that's another great lesson for entrepreneurs as well. It's, it's, it's a reality that it's, it, it's very difficult to be effective at running a company while also being best friends with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to sometimes, make calls that are not popular with people and dealing Mm -hmm. with that is, is its own thing to overcome. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm a middle child and I, you know, have always kind of felt a little bit like being in the middle of something was somewhat my strength because I could see multiple perspective and perspectives. And I was able to kind of look at both sides of an issue and help like this idea of being a bridge, um, has been strong within me for a long time. And, um, you know, I've got like the very like technical, um, scientific kind of mind and then coming into this work is very spiritual and emotional. And so bridging these things, like our whole thing's integration, it's like that comes up for me in, in leading people when I am 
trying to make sure everybody feels taken care of. Um, and sometimes that, you know, that's, you're not always going to be liked by everyone and you have to make decisions that aren't going to be, you know, so pleasing to everybody. And, um, yeah, coming face to face with that, um, within myself was, has been really challenging. Um, but again, it's just this practice of throwing yourself into uncomfortable situations for a long enough time that, you know, you just kind of develop that resilience and really ultimately keeping the mission in mind, like what's really best for this, for what we're trying to do here, ultimately, what's best for the guests, what's best for the medicine. So, so we get all set up, we have the brand, we have our, our programming set up, we have our ethos and our methodology set up, we have our network and our mentors and our connections, we have the place built and then go right uh, then then what how was like you know the I, I know what the first year was like but how was the <laughs> first year for you yeah that was crazy man i remember like i mean i was doing like i was trying to manage the team i was trying to make sure operations were running smoothly i mean we were like relentless with our operations we were going every single week we would do 3 weeks on and 1 week off i think was our initial um but like I don't really know many people that work for 21 days straight without a break, especially in, with the energetic load that is this medicine work. Um, and so by the time the week would come, it'd be like, it would just feel like a day really. And then you're back to see to another three weeks ahead of you. Right. And that's, that was, that was definitely difficult. And I was at the time, like kind of managing operations, managing, like, I remember even like liaising for like, um, maintenance issues and just like running around and then doing all of the bookings and like online stuff and emails and marketing and social media. And it was just like, it was, it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, but I think that, you know, like I said, I'm really glad I didn't know what I was getting into, but I am also really proud of us that we did it and I wouldn't trade it for the world because I, those lessons were invaluable, even the ones that, you know, I had to learn the really hard way by being diagnosed with like a nerve issue in my shoulder from too much computer work. Um, you know, really kind of, you kind of have to go through the ringer. I had to go through the ringer. Right. And like, that's, it's funny cause our, our integration book's called the hero's journal and it's based off the hero's journey. And I think that for me, like that was like, wow, like going really into the into the mix there and, um, learning my own limits and pushing past my limits to then realize how it was imperative to come back into balance. That was actually the only way we were going to really fulfill our mission. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I recall, I, I can't remember if it was the first year or the second year, but I ended up getting shingles on my face. Oh my God, that's right. Yeah. So just just such a high stress, uh, environment, uh, you know, health problems are another common thing in entrepreneurship with entrepreneurs because oh, it. stress is a real killer. It's, it's a real thing. And when you've got your whole livelihood hanging on the outcome yep. of a product, not just livelihood, but as you alluded to like identity <laughs> and, you know, community and the livelihoods record. of all of our employees, and <laughs> the investors, investors put their faith into us and just like rallied around us and put their retirement savings into this mission that because they trusted us. Right. And 
It's a lot of weight. It's a lot of weight. And I mean, ultimately, you know, you were the one that was really accountable financially for them too. So I can only imagine like the amount of stress that led to shingles that, that you were under as well. Well, I mean, uh, we, we got through it. Um, so I think about, so we opened June 20th, 2018 and by kind of the end of 2019, early 2020, that's how long it really took us before, like, you know, you had, well, at that point you still hadn't delegated the communications job. So you were still doing the communications job. Mm -hmm. Um, We had like, we had gone through a number of phases where like there was like, you know, less than, 10 grand in the bank or something like that, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, there are a couple of times I had to do emergency fundraising to, to bail us out. But then, you know, we started to, we started to feel somewhat secure and stable kind of right at the beginning of the beginning of 2020. Do you remember your intuition right before 2020 happened? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's intuition as much as it was just, just statistics and and like watching, you know, watching these entrepreneurs who I follow, who've been very helpful to me and everybody's saying, look, we haven't had a major crisis in, uh, you know, 10 years. Mm. And these things happen every seven to 10 years. So like, you better be ready for a crash. You better be ready for a crisis. And I'm like looking at our books going, we're not ready for anything right, right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and then at that point, you were like, you had found Francesca, mm-hmm. right? And you were like coordinating to get your your right hand to come in and give you a hand with all this. And then... <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy too. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe for you it was like, okay, this is the landscape. But I have to say that the timing of of that with you was so lucky, like so lucky because it was December, it was December right around then, uh, 2019, like COVID wasn't really a thing, you know, talked about very much at that point. And we were looking ahead at like a a big operational cash crunch over the next couple of months. Um, and you know, still at that point we were, we were like doing three weeks on and one week off and you were like, you know, I think that if we don't add in retreats on those weeks off, even like shorter ones, um, like we have a problem basically because three weeks being closed for 25% of the time was not getting us anywhere um, in the positive, right? And so for us, we were like, wow, okay, yeah, okay, that's true and that sucks, and but we have to do it. And so we rallied, like our team, I got to hand it to our 2020, beginning of 2020 team there, um, that, you know, we were just like, all right, guys, let's do it. We're going to do 12 weeks straight (laughs) from New Year's until March 15th. And the first week that we were closed out of three months was the week that all the borders shut. And so, and if we hadn't added those two extra weeks in, like that was all of the extra that we had that got us through the next six months. And the other crazy part of that was if we had been closed and we had had people there, like 
that would have been a huge expense too. That would have very quickly drained more of our reserves if we had 20 people trapped with us and for X amount of time. I mean, we already had our team and four healers that, you know, two of them weren't supposed to be there for longer than a week. Um, and, uh, (laughs) so it was just super lucky that we just had our team to take care of. And like, we had just come off of, um, this crazy stint, but that gave us the cushion. So it's like, that was the reason we survived. And then the other synchronicity that happened that allowed us to survive was in July. Um, when we were looking at, you know, we were looking ahead and we were like, we can't just like indefinitely keep going and like not have anything to plan for. If we can't sell retreats now, we're going to die before we even get to open again. And I remember we were like, okay, August, September, I don't know. November one is like the start of the high season. It's as long from now as it is since COVID started. Maybe that's enough time. Let's just put our flag in the ground, start like planning for that. And literally as the time got closer and closer, it was like September, October, flights were opening up more and more. And then like November 1st, Costa Rica opened all borders. So luckily we already had like full retreats booked. Yeah. Because <laughs> you could imagine if we had to then reschedule everyone. I, I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but this is where I, I kept the faith. Like I was like, wow, like those three things, like you opening those, those extra weeks. Um, and then us like having just the break be when they borders closed and then opening on time and being able to like stand behind that date and actually follow through with it, which I think built a lot of trust in like the chaotic times that were happening uh, with the community. And so, you know, it's like these little things where it's like for Sultara and for us, I keep feeling like we, we get to the edge of like, okay, maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe this is going to fail. And we almost have to like accept failure. And then something happens that is just so lucky. And, you know, we pull through somehow. And I found that to be the case, like, for many people too, when you're like in alignment with what you're trying to do, the universe will throw you a bone when you need it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever accepted failure. Um, I've uh, like in, in regards to this project, I've yeah. like, I, I've, I've just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's kind of like a, a killer's inst like I just get really mad and I'm like I'm just, like <laughs> I'm just definitely gonna, not <laughs> I'm just going to do anything I can't like like I don't care I'm not you know I'm not failing not not at this time but yeah just to give people kind of a window into you know what what that kind of pressure can be like it's like okay so so as you described you know the end of 2019 cash crunch didn't know how were you going to make payroll so we had to work 12 weeks straight to just to basically, you know, make payroll, keep our heads above water. And we were looking forward to, you know, continuing on uh, with, with kind of this new programming and COVID hits and immediately there's, we had like what, 200 some people that had booked retreats yep. for, for those months that we had to close down for COVID. and you know, us just being a new company and having kind of like a cash crunch at that time, it's like we, uh, well, everybody wanted their money back basically. And we didn't, we, we couldn't just, we couldn't pay out all that money. So it was like, we're kind of wrestling against that. Mm-hmm. And then the total uncertainty that everybody was feeling, that's the thing. Everybody was feeling the uncertainty. All the people who had paid for retreats, they're like, I don't know when this is going to happen. I don't, I lost my job. I don't, 
So everybody's, yeah, it was you know, crazy. It was so heartbreaking just to feel the suffering of everybody, you know, yeah. I mean, to like wrestle with that. And I mean, luckily a lot of people were understanding and really helped us out. Like I have a lot of gratitude for the people that were like, you know what, keep my deposit on file. We'll figure it out kind of thing. Um, and we've worked through all that now. We right? just finished. We just finished. So, <laughs> so we ended up paying out. Everyone who wanted a refund, it took us time, but we were like, okay, we'll put you on a list. We'll get there. Once we reopen, we're going to, you know, do a, a certain amount each month. Um, and yeah, and it was, it was a significant amount of money and yeah. we just finished it. So yeah, I, I feel good about that. And, you know, sad that it took so long, but I think everyone was really understanding. It was just, it's just a crazy time for everybody, yeah. you know? And I think having like, this spirit of like, we're in this together and we're going to, we're going to do right by each other as much as we can and try and make it so we can all survive is like, you know, that's kind of how we had to rally. And, um, yeah. It worked. So then we get through COVID, we timed our, so in July we planned for a November 1st opening and we started taking, uh, taking new bookings and reprogramming people who had already paid deposits for then we get to like September and Costa Rica is still locked down. There's, uh, there's, they're starting to like open up a couple of flights in mm -hmm. September to like places that like the states in the U S that like, yeah, that certain states, states that were really? locked down. Um, and so we, we, I think it was like kind of around the start of September and we're like, is November one a go? We don't really know. We're going to decide six weeks before. So like we were like September 15th. Okay. That's we're right. going to decide is November one a go or do we have to kick it back again? And the reason, you know, the reason, uh, November one looked good, like Mel said, is because it was the high season, but also the chamber of commerce in Costa Rica was putting a lot of pressure on the government because they're like, okay, we lost our last season. Mm -hmm. We can't afford to lose another season again. Yeah. Or else there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people without work, basically. Um, so then we get open, timed it perfectly. Literally the same day flights open, we open. <laughs> and we start post-pandemic, not post-pandemic because we're still COVID around, but like, you know, post-lockdown operations. Mm -hmm. How was that getting back online after six or seven months of being shut down? Yeah. I mean, at least I got, I had gotten a little bit more sleep during that time, which was good. Um, there was still like the existential dread of like feeling like we're not out of the woods yet. And like, we have to like, what if, what if COVID happens here? You know, like we can put all of our measures in place that we have and you know, you still just don't know. Um, so it was a little bit intense and, and, you know, I think also kind of like coming back online after all that time off, there was a lot that I felt people like were rusty, yeah? people were, yeah. Well, it was also like, what was this? What, like, how do we actually want to like evolve from this? And I remember over the pandemic, you know, you and I had a lot of conversations about like, how are we actually going to grow from this? Like you, you kept the optimism alive in me of like, can we use this time to get better, you know, and not just kind of like wallow in the existential crisis that, you know, everyone was in. Um, and, you know, that was still very present, but, um, I think it was, you know, you and I were both kind of strategizing, like, how do we actually make this better? Because we have a chance here and it kind of felt like opening a new business in a way, but that already had like an established community. And so, um, 
it was interesting because I felt like there was a lot of experimenting that was happening in terms of like the structure of the business on the back end and how, you know, the, the, how the staff was structured and who was kind of doing what. And so, yeah, it definitely took some ironing out of kinks. And I think, um, you know, with so much going on, we ended up losing some people too, you know, to various life, um, experiences and circumstances. And so, um, honestly, it's been really challenging. Um, and the first couple months of 2021 just kind of felt like this continuation of one challenge after another. Um, but I think through all of that, like these were hard lessons that felt like an evolution of the hard lessons from before. Like we were like, okay, this is more about like, how do we maintain the high standard that we've set for ourselves? How do we take this to the next level? How do we climb that second mountain? Right. To, to quote, um, the full fuck yes. And, uh, and I think that like, these are, these are problems that are also kind of exciting for me because it feels like, okay, we're actually like moving forward. We're making progress and it's still really hard, but, um, it's like the kind of hard that, that shows that we've, we've been places already. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely not our first rodeo. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So now, um, here we are in Q2 of 2021. Already. Um, Wow. We've, uh, we've basically, you know, the November and December of 2020 were a little on the rough side. A lot of additional complications for travel for people. Oh my God. I would feel like I was changing the travel logistics every three days. Like it was, yeah, it was extremely complicated. And luckily everyone was super understanding too. Like it was cool because everyone was so like ready to actually come and do this work that they just showed up and it was like, every single week was so transformational and still is like, it feels like this time of like, yeah, our, our work definitely isn't done. Like people are coming and it's, it's so inspiring because, you know, they're the ones that have taken the extra leap, gone through the extra bullshit, like cut through all of that and really made it a mission to come here. And so I think that's been like such a catalyst for so many groups coming through of just like real change. Um, And that's been, yeah, so that's been great. And uh, I feel like now we're kind of like looking ahead towards like, how can we really serve the movement a little bit more as well? Like we have some capacity for that now and some exciting projects on the horizon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, it's it's an exciting time. I, I personally feel very fortunate to have, you know, weathered the storm. And I credit a lot of that to just following the right people and learning from the right people in order, because I mean, I was very, very, uh, feeling very bleak during the pandemic. I was, I was depressed. I was anxious. I was definitely very, very angry about what was going on around the world. And after having come through all of these challenges that you described in the first year and a half or two years of the company, I was feeling very, very upset and very, very angry. Um, A lot of rage. But, you know, having these great uh, mentors that, that, 
you know, just constantly talking about how to look at crises with an optimistic viewpoint, take this time to get better, take this kind, take this time to like restructure things, take this time to think about the future. There is a future. The future is bright. Don't let this shit get you down. You know, um, I, 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 I think that played a big role in, in being able to come through that and because I think we were able to take that approach and to look at how we can make use of this time, not just we did plenty of wine and Netflix, right? I mean, don't get me wrong, but we also we also use that time to really analyze how we can get better, as you said. And here we are. Um, I, I feel very extremely fortunate actually, because there's a lot of people. And a lot of companies, unfortunately, like in Peru, where they're where they're not doing so well right now, and the fact that you know we can, we kind of weathered the storm and um, and and people have been responding so well to what we do here that you know Soltara is finally feeling like an established company, and 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 we we're not worried about the next payroll. Mm-hmm. You know that's a big mm-hmm. that's a big threshold to cross is is when you're no longer worried about how you're going to make the next payroll. And, uh, you know, so, so here we are. And, and as you said, we got some exciting projects on the horizon where we're, I, I maybe don't want to jinx it and talk and talk too much about it, but <laughs> maybe in broad strokes, where, uh, where do you see Soltara going from here? Mm, man. Yeah. I have, I have so many, I think there's so much opportunity right now to be, and I mean, we're just so on the tip of the wave with this psychedelic renaissance that's happening. And, you know, you have um, clinical trials pulling through in the U.S. and just so much more psychedelic therapy becoming something that's more well-known. And, um, you know, there's, there's companies popping up that are doing great things. And, you know, there's also like a real, a real need around the world right now for a deeper connection to our roots. And I think that that's something that is so special about this medicine. It's just like really connecting people back to who they are, back to the earth, back to each other, back to the land. And, um, you know, there's so much wisdom in the way that the healers live and, and, you know, serve this medicine and the container that they hold. And, um, you know, we can, I think that we have an opportunity to help be a bridge for that because a lot of times in psychedelic science, for example, um, you know, they miss that connection to the ceremony, to the ritual, to the tradition. And that's so important as we know for what I I feel like is, you know, the, the deeper layers of healing, you know, it's not just kind of going to a clinic and taking a pill. And again, that can be helpful, but at the same time, it's like how, for me, it's like, how do we help complete the medicine wheel here? And how do we allow the roots of what we're doing to have a, a strong footing and to really be able to um, bear bear the seeds of, of this work? And so for us, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of different aspects and branches that we could go, but um, whether that's, you know, scientific studies and helping kind of move uh, psychedelic science forward, which is, you know, something that we're doing, um, contributing to um, the understanding and uh, of the importance of ceremony and ritual. And actually uh, a study just came out um, 
through Brandon Weiss and the University of Georgia that we've been working on for several years now um, about ayahuasca inducing uh, changes in personality. And he studied our um, our guests over the last few years. And I love what came out because the the second paragraph of the entire study was dedicated to the importance of ceremony and ritual in the actual outcomes of these personality changes. And, you know, to me, that feels like a really big win because that is this, that is this holistic view that I think is so important, this integrative view of what healing is. And so how can we continue to be a beacon for that? How can we continue to work with the healers that we work with to bring this medicine forward and um, in a way that honors honors their roots? And, um, and then how can we, yeah, how can we contribute to the movement, whether we're offering dietas and deeper immersion for people, whether we are improving our integration program and helping to continue to be a, a high standard for the industry? How do we partner with ethical companies and ensure that, you know, ethical standards are, are something to, to come together and strive for and collaborate on and, and maintain in the movement because it can be a little bit of a wild west right now. Um, how do we continue to um, share the power of this in a way that is adjunct to the, the medicine world that is that is allopathic medicine. You know, I don't think that, I don't think that science and spirituality have to clash. Uh, you know, to me, it's like, this is like integration is the whole theme here. Like how can we support people um, holistically? And so, yeah, trying, trying to be vague here, but uh, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of, of opportunities. Maybe we have some news down the line. We'll <laughs> <Yeah>. see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But honestly, like ultimately it's, you know, I go into ceremony and I ask ayahuasca, like, what, what, what do you, what do you want? Like, how, how can I help? How can I help serve this work more? And, you know, ultimately that's what guides me in this. I'm, I'm in service to the medicine and it's working through us and through everyone that comes through and shows up to do the healing work and then goes back home to their communities and, you know, affects change. And, and I think those ripples are what we're really here to do. Good stuff. Straight from the source, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, the sun is going down, and it's a Friday afternoon, and it's your day off. So <laughs> it's okay. Um, this stuff gets me fired up. Uh, you uh, have any any final uh, comments you'd like to share with people? How can people reach you? How can people get in touch with Soltara? Any kind of cool things they should check out related to this? Yeah, definitely follow us on um, Instagram. We got at Soltara Healing Center. We got soltara.co. You got me. I'm Melissa Lynn Stangle on Instagram. And uh, yeah, I mean, definitely just, uh, you know, would love for anyone who's interested in this work to join our community, be on our listserv. Um, we try and share as much as possible and just provide good resources and um, access to, you know, high quality education and ways to continue to pursue this work and this healing. So yeah, join our community and become part of the Sultara family. Onwards we go. Onwards. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, my friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, big thanks to Melissa for making the time. And uh, hope uh, hope that uh, we can see many of you uh, down here in Costa Rica or at least communicate with you online. 
Thanks, Dan. Thanks for everything you do. The Daniel Cleland Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Daniel Cleland Podcast. We truly enjoy you sharing your time with us. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you, please like the episode, review the podcast, subscribe. If you're not already subscribed, these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show. So free for you, super important for us. Like, subscribe, and review. Thank you so much. Of course, this podcast would not be possible without the continued amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica, check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently 1-800-397-1730 or look us up on social media at Soltara Healing Center. All kinds of great content, nonstop, coming out, down the pike, every day, just for you. Thanks again so much for joining I appreciate it beyond words, and I look forward to doing many more of these episodes for you and connecting. If you want to reach out to me, there's a contact form on my website, danielcleland.com. Feel free to hit me up. I read every email and try to respond to all of them. Thanks again. Much love to you, and I hope we get to catch up soon. All the best.